up. All right, let's take our Bibles, go to Romans chapter 12. Get a little popping here, see if we can stop that. Romans chapter 12, so what have we been doing the last three weeks? It's actually four weeks, I added one week at uh, before we started into our March revival time. Thank you, Bethany. And what have we been doing now? Well, we've uh, this morning was wonderful, by the way, and uh, uh, we've been really pushing hard on it. And normally we go, we go through a book or verse by verse, but in March we pause for a moment and four weeks and just spend it all getting ready for the springtime and the summer. Folks are getting out again, and uh, boy, there's a lot of work to do in our community and uh, reaching folks for Christ. So in March, we spend the entire month getting ourselves spiritually prepared, spiritually renewed, spiritually awakened as we reach for revival, and that's exactly what we have been doing. So here's where we're at tonight. We've so far, the first week of March, again, we looked into ourselves. The first thing, if you don't examine yourself and know where you are with the Lord, it's a little hard to move forward if you don't know exactly where you're at. So first week, and again, all these are on the internet, sermonaudio.com, our website, myugbcc.com, all those places, Facebook Live has got them on our Facebook page. All the messages are available if you missed one. Uh, But anyway, we spent time looking in. Are we right with God? Where do we stand with Him? Uh, Is there sin in our life we need to correct? Is there spiritual things that we can do to increase our walk with the Lord? And that's where we went uh, the first week. Last week, we spent the entire day looking at who is God. Now, you can look in yourself and realize what you need, but if you don't understand who God is, it's very hard to relate to him. One of the huge things that we face in our culture, and really in any place where Christianity is, people tend, after they come to Christ, they tend to look at God the way they look at their physical father. Why? Because we call him father. It's a natural outflow, if you will. So if you have a real loving, kind father, uh, many, most of the time folks look at God as a kind, loving father. If you happen to have a, a, a dad or have a dad that's a little bit harsher or uh, some downright mean and cruel, which has happened to some, you tend to look at God in that light. So we need to understand who God is. We spent three messages on that. And uh, now uh, we're coming down to where We're not looking in, we're not looking up, but we're literally looking around us. And you say, what do you mean us? Who is us? I'm talking about the folks that call themselves Christians. I'm talking about those who are sitting in the same pew as you or in the same church building as you. The biggest tool that Satan uses to try and disrupt any church is to cause disunity. And folks, I, I'm, I've been here three years now. We've never had a bad case of disunity yet, and I praise the Lord for that. But every single day, boy, we, we got to be on guard. we got to be on watch because, man, that it, if you want to ruin the church, it's going to happen from within. You can't kill us from outside. Never going to happen. The worse the world rears up against us, the stronger we get, quite frankly, so we got to be careful. Everything we do, everything we say, how we treat each other, boy, that's you, you talk about revival, and that's what Romans chapter 12 is, which we, uh, uh, Sunday morning, and then our ABF, or Adult Bible Fellowship, we went through multiple verses. We're going to finish the chapter up tonight, so we're just going verse by verse through Romans 12. These are things we've got to be on guard for as we study his word. So tonight we're going to reaching around us, literally when we're talking around, I mean literally people that you see here tonight. What's your relationship with God's people? What's your relationship with your own family members? What's your relationship with those you run into on a continual basis? The next week we go to uh, one of my favorite, uh, if you will, areas, which is evangelism. So we reach in check ourselves, are we right with God? Then we reach up, are, are we truly understanding who God is? Can we go to the throne room of God, Revelation chapter 4, and look at it as every single one of you will do this? And we talked about that. Revelation 4 is prophetic. Every single one of you that knows Jesus Christ as your personal Savior will one day enter that throne room 
of Revelation chapter 4, either after the rapture or after death. And you'll enter into the throne room, and specifically the, the angels are there and the God's people are there, and we're all in unison going to be praising God at that time. And, and looking at him and saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And, and it's going to be a, a, an absolute awesome scene. But we can't lose sight of who he is while we're still down here. And, and yes, one day we'll see that face to face. You will actually see that. You'll be there in living color, in glorified bodies. That's coming. But right now we have to look and focus on, yes, it, it, right now we have to and that's why it's so important to study the scriptures read the scriptures understand what's in them if you don't you're going to miss out i can't tell you how many churches will not go to the book of revelation they won't crack it open oh it's too controversial it's too hard to understand we can't preach out of that well folks you got to preach out of the whole book or you're going to miss some very very important things so it's so important so what are we looking at tonight we're going to be looking at, again, who's around us. Next week, we're going to spend three messages. I'm going to preach one of the most politically incorrect messages you're ever going to hear on earth next Sunday morning. Is there a hell? I agree, there is. Uh, you say that in the mainstream, you're going to get labeled as whatever. But we got to go there. And it's like just because the world doesn't like it, just because the media doesn't like it, just because a lot of Christians don't even like to hear the term doesn't mean it's not real. So we're going to go there next Sunday morning, 9 a.m. You say, boy, this sounds like one of those old independent fundamental Baptist screaming preachers. No, I'm not going to scream, but everything else was true. So uh, I want you to be here, folks, because I'll tell you what, if you don't understand what hell is, if you're not motivated by the fact that there's a true hell You'll have a hard time witnessing to folks, but when you understand that there's a trouble coming, when you understand that somebody's in a burning building, when you see your mom or your dad or your uncle or your aunt or your children or somebody you love and care about in a burning building and your car pulls up and you see the smoke billowing out of their home, what do you say? <laughs> Just another day and you let them burn to death? Absolutely not. At a minimum, you're going to get on your cell phone and you're going to call 911 and scream and yell. It's like they're inside the building. They need help. And, uh, folks, that's exactly what it's going to be like, uh, understanding what hell is. Not just Heaven's a good motivator, too. But, boy, when you understand that folks without Christ will burn in an awful place called hell, the lake of fire, man, it's a motivator. So come on uh, down 9 a.m. Let's fill the place up again Sunday morning and go there. Well, today let's uh, finish... Uh, Romans chapter 12. I'm going to go back to the first verse again. In fact, let's go to Romans or uh, Romans chapter 12. We're going to read the verses and then we'll spend the rest of our time going through the verses we haven't covered yet. Romans chapter 9 or uh, 12. I'll get it right. Romans 12. Go to verse 1 for a minute just to get the first two verses. Remember, Romans 1 through 11 is all doctrinal. Romans 12, Paul starts a very practical application of those 11 doctrinal chapters. He's now going to contrast good versus evil and what we as God's people need to be centered on. So he starts out in a very familiar verse. Most of you know it, Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren... Brethren referring to God's people. That means ladies and gentlemen and young people and teenagers that have placed their faith and trust in Christ are part of the brethren. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, you Christian, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your, what, reasonable service. God says if you're one of my people, it's reasonable that your life should be a living sacrifice. That's pretty heavy. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. All right, let's go down to verse 9 where we started this morning. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, pref giving preference to one another. 
not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. By the way, I'm going to stop right there. I announced this morning we're going to start a brand new prayer meeting. It's going to be consistent. If one person shows up, great. If 100 people show up, great. If five people show up, great. Every Sunday morning, starting next Sunday, will not stop. 8.30 till 9 a.m., and then I want you to stop at 9 a.m. and come on in here and join the crowd. But uh, 8.30 to 9 a.m., we'll have a prayer meeting going on down in the mezzanine, which is this level uh, where uh, Mike Unger's class meets, ladies' Bible study, other groups. Uh, just go in there, whoever shows up, uh, just go to prayer. Pray for the church. Pray for God's people. Pray for unity. Pray for this pastor. Pray for our deacons. Pray for our country. Pray for our missionaries. And just ask God to do something here at uh, uh, the church and keep it going forward. By the way, I will tell you, the greatest expansion we had in this church was about two years ago when we put a tent up out in the grass. We had a 24-hour prayer meeting, and wow, things began to pop big time here. I don't know if we want to put that tent back up this summer, but I'm telling you what, it probably was one of the greatest things we did here as far as God's people coming and praying and seeing God move in a big way. So let's get that going again. So again, 8.30 to 9, mezzanine, classroom, uh, as far as you can go, you'll hit a wall, make a left, and you're there. All right, so uh, you're all invited to do that. doesn't matter what age you are, you're invited to come. All right, let's pick back up. Oh, i got to find my place. All right, verse 13. Distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. In other words, invite folks out to eat. Invite them to your house. Go out with coffee with them. Spend time with them. Folks, it's the best. You want to know folks in this church? Hospitality. By the way, don't forget to invite me and Valerie over once in a while. We, we're happy to come. We take, I'm serious. We go out probably two, three times every week with folks. We keep trying to catch up with all the folks and get up, get you out to eat or get you to the ministry center, but we're falling behind big time. So uh, if you want to come to the front of the line, say you can either say, hey, we want to go out with you, that's fine, or you want to have us over, give me a call. I'd be happy to come, all right? Hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another, unified. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Here's a key, verse 18. If it is possible, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. Now, what's he saying here? And we didn't really get into that because we were out of time. He's saying, live peaceably with all men. What's he talking about? He's saying, listen, as much as depends on you, you should be living peaceably with all men. If the other person decides to make you their enemy, you can't control that. That's what the context is here. Live peaceably with all men. It's not about, I'm going to, uh, by the way, read the New Testament. We still got folks that are steeped in Old Testament doctrine. There's nothing in the Bible in the New Testament about punching out somebody you don't like about giving them a hard time, or about being unkind. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. So, uh, yes, we need, to, we need to hold firm on what we believe, but there's no such thing in New Testament doctrine as getting in someone's face and uh, being unkind or unruly with them. Uh, you say, well, I believe that. Well, all I can say is start reading in Matthew, go through uh, Revelation, see what you come up with. All right, uh, verse 19, where we're starting tonight. Beloved, that's a real antagonistic term, right? <laughs> beloved, my dearly beloved. What, what do they say at weddings? Dearly beloved, we are gathered here in the sight of God and man. I don't do that, by the way, so if you expect that, I don't do it. It's good, but it's, I don't do it. It's a little too up here for me, high church. I got to bring it down where folks live. But for here, it's good. Beloved, who's she talking about? It's just like you, uh, you have a husband and a wife that are in love with each other or a couple that's getting married and they're in love with each other. And that's how Paul felt about God's people. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Oh, here we go. Don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore... 
and boy, this, this is going to get you thinking. We talked a little bit about it in Sunday school. If your enemy is hunger, feed him. All right, I get that. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. All right? For in so doing, now here you go, you will heap coals of fire on his head. What? What does that mean? Well, we're going we're gonna to tell you tonight. Hopefully you figure this out. Verse 21, here's the, again, the capstone of the chapter. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, I pray now that as we go into this very convicting passage that, Lord, you'd help us to understand exactly what you're saying here. Lord, we, we like to be harsh. We like to have our say. We like to have our opinion. We like to uh, uh, get myopic on things and do things our way or no way or the highway. And Father, you've made it very clear that that's not the way that you want us to be as your children. So Father, I pray as we go through this very important passage that once again you'd break our heart for people. Lord, those that are maybe our enemies, you've asked us to love them. Those that cast stones at us, you'd asked us to take it. Those that have done you evil, you asked us to basically don't repay it back. Lord, these are tough sayings for us, and especially in our culture where we don't want to take anything from anybody. So Father, I pray that you'd help us to draw a little bit closer to Jesus. I pray that you'd help us to be a little bit closer to what we call revival, at least from our vernacular and hopefully yours. And I pray that you'd move in our hearts tonight as we look at these very important verses. Lord, as always, we ask that you'd revive the saved and save the lost. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, we're just going to go back to verse 9, and then we'll pop into verse 19, but we've got to set the context. Here's the whole key of what we're talking about. Let love be without what? Hypocrisy. In other words, when you say you love someone, is it true, is it real, or is it hypocritical? That's pretty stiff talk. And God meant it to be that way. I gave you the little illustration two times this morning. I worked with an individual, and I made it very clear I'm not talking about Sheriff Clark when I, when I, when I made this illustration because I think some of the, that popped into some people's heads. It's not him. It's another person that was high in the command staff with the sheriff's office. And uh, he made this statement, and, and it was a bad statement. And it shows, and it's the best thing I can give you that shows love with hypocrisy. The individual would say this, I love you like a brother. I love you like a brother. I mean, have a smile on his face and everything's good. And then the next word was, but, but. And then he proceeded, and I saw it many a time, tear the heads off somebody. I mean, just ridicule them, downplay them, beat them up, not physically, but verbally, emotionally. And it's like, all right, that's love with hypocrisy you know you don't love that person you don't treat somebody you love like that in fact it's it's degrading it's wrong and God says listen as God's people don't do that that's not what I want you to do I don't want you to have love with hypocrisy I don't want you to say one thing but portray something else or act a different way so it's a it's a very uh, a specific thing um, Steve Brown talked to me after after the service and he says well you know back in in the old days and he's correct that uh, Roman plays uh, you didn't have female actresses, you had males. So uh, the males would uh, put on, if you will, the two-faced kind of mask, and when they're playing one part or a female, they, are, they got their head one way. When they're doing the other part, they're going this way. So uh, uh, that was certainly one part of it. But uh, uh, when you look at love without hypocrisy, when we say we love someone, our actions ought to back it up. If I tell my wife, Valerie, I love you with all my heart. And then if I treat her horribly, what's she going to think? Well, she's going to be real happy. She's like, oh, yeah, you say that, but do you really mean it? How come you don't treat me in X way? And every one of us who has close relationships, we think the same thing. Is it if we tell somebody we love them, but then we, hey, why'd you do that? Or we get in their face and we get mad at them or we get upset with them and we, we back talk at them or we push back on them and all of a sudden they're like, wait a second. Can I tell you a secret, folks? It's no secret at all. Do you know what percentage of unsafe folks get divorced? It's about 60%, maybe a little bit higher. Now here's a, an, a, a statistic that isn't is no much better than the secular world you know what percentage of christians get divorced 
yeah, we're running over 50% right now. And you say, well, why is that? Why is it happening? Why is it happening? My, and I'm serious. It's about God's people. And why does it happen? Because, uh, uh, and by the way, if you're here and you're divorced, I love you. I, I don't, whatever happened in the past happened in the past. It's not about that issue. But here's, why does that happen? Why do so many people uh, uh, split up? Why, why is it just in epidemic proportions? Well, it's because we love somebody, but with caveats. And all of a sudden you've got, well, you did this, and you did this, and you did that, and he did that, and she did this, and the next thing you know, ba-boom, love is nothing but hypocrisy, and there's no love at all. So something to think about. So when we say we love someone, and that's the, the issue of revival here, when you look at people in this church, or you look at people in your life, and it's like, what is God asking us to do? He's not saying, listen, if you say you love somebody, treat them right. He's saying you better love the person that doesn't love you. Ooh. He's saying the person that is antagonistic or your enemy or the person that drives you a, a little bit uh, off your normal routine, you love them without hypocrisy. Now that's deep. Would you agree? That's not easy. I'm not saying this is easy stuff. If it is easy, it wouldn't be in the Word of God because this is over and over and over again that this issue is brought up by the Lord. So he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Again, just to review two more slides, let love be without hypocrisy. Well, we said he's contrasting good, which is love, with evil, which is hypocrisy. We see that throughout all the verses we went through uh, this morning. So God's saying, listen, when you love somebody, and by the way, the Bible says, if you are a Christian, they should know us by our what? By our love. By our love. I mean, caring about people, giving to people, helping people, supporting people, even if they're your enemy. I love that verse, and boy, I said it at least once this morning, if not more. Romans 5, 8, Christian, but God demonstrates. What do you mean, he gets a picket sign out? No, that's not the kind of demonstrate. Demonstrate mirrors this is how he shows us what he means. But God demonstrated, he showed us his love in this, and that while me and you were yet sinners, what did Christ do for us? He died for us. He died for us. Was buried in three days, rose again. That's because he loves you. When, when they took Jesus to bring him to the cross, how many people did he knock out to stop that from happening? Zero. How many people did he curse and swear at and go ballistic on? How many people did Jesus tune up because they were doing the wrong thing? How many? Zero. Now, he certainly told uh, uh, Pilate a, a couple of things, but it, was, it wasn't antagonistic. It was, he knew he had to go to the cross, and he kept his mouth, uh, uh, as the scriptures say, quiet. He said, just enough to get himself condemned. You say, well, what do you mean by that? The only thing that uh, he was condemned because uh, uh, the, the people said wrongly that he was trying to take the place of Caesar and be the king of the world. Well, where did Jesus say his kingdom was? It's in heaven. By the way, is his kingdom going to be on earth someday? Revelation 20, it certainly talks about that. Yes, his kingdom will be here, but uh, certainly is not here yet. Romans 12, 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Again, love, agape love, Christian love, without hypocrisy, sincere, pure, uncorrupted, and genuine. All right, let's get in tonight quickly. Do you want to give people a piece of your mind when defended? I mean, boy, they said something, and it's like, I'm going to set the record straight. Do you want to always fight with somebody when uh, they, you may disagree with them? Can you let go of bitterness and trust the Lord to handle the offender? I don't know if I can trust God to take care of this. Did you hear what I just said? You know, when we get mad at somebody, we want to tune them up. We just said, well, I guess God can't handle it. I got to do it myself. Mm. I'm looking in the mirror too, folks. Can you forgive as Christ forgave you? When that person and boy, I mean, if, if we just, if we had like a, a testimonies and we garbled your voice and you, and you were able to come up here and say, man, I've been through and you, I mean, if, if we just listen to testimonies of all the folks that are here 
and, and you came up and in a garbled voice, face, head, you started to talk about the things that people have done to you and how they've hurt you and the horrible things they've done. And we'd all sit down and go, wow, that is horrible. And all of us would say, boy, that person's got a right to be mad at them. They really got treated bad. And Jesus in Colossians 3 said, you forgive as I forgave you. Oh, forgive. The hardest thing for God's people to do is to forgive those who have wronged them. And I'm, I'm, I'm being straightforward. The biggest thing I, I deal with in the counseling room is people that just won't forgive. They won't let it go. Can you love without hypocrisy? In other words, when you tell somebody you love them, can you get to that? This is, this is and I, I don't even know if I can explain it right. I try. I tried this morning. I don't know if it got through or not. Again, okay, there's nobody sitting in the front row. We all agree on that? All right. So I'm going to look down at the front row where nobody said it. Well, there's a, there's a viola or violin sitting there. I'm like, yeah, boy, I, don't, I just don't like that viola. I mean, that's a terror, and I don't like that person. That, I just don't like that. And, and I'm all frustrated with them, and, and I'm upset with them. Hey, how you doing today? It's good to see you. Man, I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> yeah. That's love with hypocrisy. Now, if I come up to that person in the front row and it's like, boy, they have really done me wrong. They've treated me poorly. And, uh, you know, I think if I was carnal and if I was living without the Holy Spirit, I'd probably see that person and give them a piece of my mind. Dear God, I want to pray for that person right now. Would you please help me to love that person? I just, I'm struggling with them. It's hard and it's difficult. Would you help me to love that person truly? Would you please somehow, would you bless them? Would, uh, I know maybe they're not going to change, but would you please change my heart? Would you help me to love them and care about them? Teach me what I can do to, to help their demeanor maybe even. Maybe they're suffering. Maybe there's heartache in their life. Would you please help me, Lord, to treat them with the respect that you've asked me to do would you please help me and you start praying for that person and all of a sudden your heart's broke for them you don't know maybe even what their issues are why why are they having a tough day why are they crabby all the time why are they hurting all the time and, and all of a sudden you start to pray for them and God moves within your soul and all of a sudden you see them in church and, and it's like you come up to them and it's like hey hey how you doing I, I, I honestly I've been praying for you this week how, how you doing and you know inside you actually mean it now. It's not a fake. It's not hypocritical. It's that God has softened your heart so that you can love the unlovely. By the way, that will transform your marriage. It will transform your relationship with your kids and with your mom and dad and with grandpa and grandma and with other people when you say, I've been struggling with them and it's been hard. And God says, well, why don't you just... Uh, why don't you humble yourself like we talked about this morning? Father, I pray now that as we open up the word that you'd speak to our hearts, would you please bless us? We commit this to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So this morning or this evening, we will examine the most difficult of Christian disciplines. I'm not saying it's easy. Loving without hypocrisy. Let love be with out hypocrisy asking God to revive my heart that where I can honestly say when you walk into a room there's not one person in this room that I don't like there's not one person in this room that I have ill will against. that's love without hypocrisy you say is that possible Jesus was able to do it do you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you Christian uh, it's possible it's possible and the Holy Spirit will convict you, and he'll work on you, and he'll help you. And we've got to be open to what the Lord has for us. All right, let's go down to verse 19. Beloved Christian, do not avenge yourselves. Again, we already touched on this a bit. Do not avenge yourselves. When somebody treats you improperly, and I say this and say this and say this, and Carly's not here tonight because me and her would, would agree on this. Let it go. How many times have I said that from this pulpit? Some of you are saying too many. 
But folks, those three little words, let it go, let it go. Is it worth it? Is it worth the bitterness? Is it worth breaking up a relationship? Is it worth somebody getting mad at you? And God said, listen, do what God asks us to do here. This is God's word. This isn't Pastor Rich saying, ah, you better do it. No, I'm saying, please do what God says. Do not avenge yourselves. Give, but rather give place to wrath. Just give place. Let them go off. Something just came to mind. I looked at Valerie and it popped into my head about a particular judge I used to work with. I'm not going to name him because I, I do like the guy. So when I was, specifically when I was sheriff, and this judge, he was, I can't even give his position because I don't want you to figure it out. But the bottom line, this particular judge, I mean, he was, he was a hothead, just to be straightforward. I mean, he would fire things up. He would get mad. He'd He'd just fuss and fume. So he sees me and all, Sheriff! And he's just, I don't even know what the issue was. He's just going off on me. What about this? What are you going to do about this? I don't like this. And I mean, he's just blowing me away. I said, all right, Judge. All right. I hear you, brother. I don't think I called him brother. But uh, I hear you. And uh, I kind of got a half smile on my face. What are you smiling at? I said, well, Judge, because I'm going to help you. So I said, let me go to my office, and whatever the problem was, I said, let me, let me figure it out. He said, all right, but you better take care of this quick. I'm like, okay, Judge, it's all good. I'll take care of it, I promise. I go to my office, five seconds later, call him on the phone. Judge, how you doing? Well, you better go, wait, what's going on now? I said, it's fixed. It's all good. Really? Yeah, I told you I'd fix it. Oh, okay. Now, folks, if I don't... If I would have let this guy get to me, just like folks get to you, I mean, he, they're fussing and fuming and ready to tear you apart. I'm going to have your badge or your life or whatever. And it's like they want to do everything they can to disturb you and get in your face. And it's like, oh, okay, come on, man. I'm Okay. Worst thing you can do to somebody who's mad at you is smile. <laughs> it's like, why are you smiling? You know what else works? A, this is Proverbs. A soft answer turns away. Uh-huh. So you got somebody tearing you up. And there are mad and furious and just few minutes like, yeah, okay. I understand. Sure. And you're talking like this. And they're screaming and yelling and fussing and fuming and smoke's coming out of their head. Okay. All right. You know, after a few minutes of them screaming and yelling and you acting like I just portrayed, guess what that happens to that wrath? It's really hard to be mad at somebody and fuss and fume at them when you're treating them with respect and kindness and not screaming back. Have you ever heard the, and you finish the, finish the phrase, it takes two to tango. tango. Ooh, I'm talking about dancing in church. Oh boy, I'm in trouble. But uh, no, <laughs> it takes two to tango. It's, it's not a very good dance if you got one dancer doing whatever they do. But you get two people together and you got a nice thing going. They're in sync. They work together. What am I saying? The bottom line is don't avenge yourselves. Give place to wrath. Treat them with respect. Treat them with love. Love without hypocrisy, that is the key to this whole thing. Do not take revenge. Don't do it. Be loved. Don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written. Now, some of you are saying, all right, I like this part. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says whom? All right, don't rejoice in that so much, right? Like, well, they're going to get what they deserve. Yeah, yeah, they actually are. They actually are. Vengeance is mine. God says, you just stay out of my business. I'll handle it, God says. Let me take care of uh, the spanking. Now, if they're a Christian, you can't get away from, for whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth even as a father, a son, in whom he delights. God will take care of his people. You say, what about... I mean, 
I mean, I could go off for six hours right now on looking at politicians and things taking place in government and all the nonsense that goes on. And we can fuss and we can fume and it's like, why doesn't God judge those people? That's exactly right. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the, the judgment. Folks, these, these poor folks. I mean, really, if you love without hypocrisy, you look at what's taking place, and it's like, man, they're messed up. They're anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-everything holy and righteous. Folks, you're absolutely right, and we don't like it. I don't like it. But you can fuss and fume. You can storm uh, uh, whatever group of, of, of uh, politicians you want. You know what you're going to accomplish? Get your, you'll get your name in the news. That will happen. You may get arrested. You may have a, a, a temporary moment of ecstatic uh, of victory, but after you get out of jail and you're humbled and you lose a ton of money, it's like, what did I accomplish by doing something that isn't biblical? You say, did you just say not biblical? I, I absolutely did. Show me one place in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, not Old Testament, New Testament, where God's asked us to be going up and fighting against the government. Jesus said, you render to Caesar what's Caesar, render to God what's God's. So I don't like that. I want to fight. God bless you. Go for it. I'll visit you in jail. I won't pay your bail because I'm telling you right now not to do it. But it's not right. I've got vigilantes that are Christians that I was on a talk show. Oh, they got fired up when I said this. Right, that's fine. Show me in the Bible where, where it approves what you're doing. You go ahead and do it. God says, listen, vengeance is mine. I will repay. I'll take care of it. You get out there and do what is God's mission? To fight the government? Is that the God's mission? Of course not. Is it to fight your neighbor? Is it to fight your spouse? Is it to fight your kids? Is it to fight those at work? No, God says, listen, you treat folks with respect. Here's God's mission. This is the New Testament mission. And I think our missionaries will be happy to back it up right now. Why are they, why are they going into a field, which I'm not going to name, but why are they going into a field where their lives are going to be at risk? Why? Because here's the mission. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Lord has come to seek and to save those who are, that's the mission. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul reiterates the mission. This is a faithful and acceptable saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? Save sinners. That's the mission. There is no other mission. So when the Bible says you get somebody who has wrath against you, I didn't write it. He did. Don't avenge yourselves. Give place to wrath. God says vengeance is mine. Let me take care of it. Verse 20, therefore, He's going even a step further now. If that person who is mean and ornery and horrible to you, he says, if they're hungry, throw an egg at them. <laughs> he says, feed them. What? I mean, they're my enemy. I mean, if I fed all my enemies in the, in the government, I'd, I'd probably be broke. I'd have to buy Aldi. Feed them. Take care of them. You're like, I don't want to. Well, that's your choice, but God asks us to do it. Feed the hungry that are, are antagonistic. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. You're like, that's going above and beyond in my book. Well, it probably is going above and beyond for most of us, but that's what God's asked us to do. Love without what? I didn't write it. I know some of you right now might be like, ooh, man, I don't like this tonight. Well, when I read it, I may not have liked all of it either. I was in law enforcement for 32 years. By the way, I've been in ministry for 50. But those 32 years, you say, well, when, when somebody did wrong, and here's where, where people talk to me, they're like, how in the world can you be a Christian, and especially a pastor, and have been a cop for 32 years? How can you be a sheriff? They beat people up. They're mean to folks. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. You see, what do police do that are doing things the right way and the way they're trained to? Somebody does wrong, the police go up to them, they make the arrest. If they resist, yes, then you have to use the minimal amount of force necessary to get them under control. 
And as soon as you get them under control, you pat them on the back and say, okay, you did a good job, you tried to fight, you lost, let's go to jail now where we're gonna take care of you and uh, you get your court case done, what do you say? You say, is that how you treated them? Uh-huh, never screamed at them? Oh yes, I strike that. I did scream at plenty of them. They've got a gun, they're picking it up, they're about ready to point it at you, I scream real loud. Why, because you startle them. I never had to shoot anybody. And I've had several guns that were pointed at me. Why didn't I have to shoot anybody? Because I screamed at them, put the gun down. They scared a fire out of them. And they put the gun down, fortunately. Now, I know sometimes that doesn't happen. I was fortunate. So I never had to shoot anybody. But you still love them. You take care of them. I, I, I remember one guy. I just, I don't know why I'm going here, but I'm going here. Because I worked, uh, when I was on the street, I worked mainly third shift, and you have all sorts of pursuits in third shift. You got the gun runners and the drunks and the druggies and all that. And uh, this one guy, I mean, boy, we, I don't know how long the pursuit was, probably 15 minutes. Your, your leg, literally, because you keep slamming, you're, you're filled with adrenaline, and you're pushing down on the gas pedal, and you're trying to push it right through the bottom of the, uh, of the squad. You're trying to get this guy, and uh, you're chasing him and chasing him and going through corners. And uh, my leg was like, you almost couldn't feel it at the end. That's how intense you get. Finally, the guy pops up on the sidewalk. I come right alongside. I pin the door so he couldn't open it, jump out get the guy out, and he said, man, what do you think of that? He said that to me. And I, woo, dude, I'm like, that was some pursuit. You, you gave me a run for my money. And we were having a nice little chat as I put the cuffs on him and took him to jail. But I treated him with respect. I didn't have to punch him, didn't have to hit him, didn't have to shoot him, didn't have to tase him. It's like even the criminals you treat with respect, guess what happens? Let me go one step further. I had a couple minutes. I'm, I'm going to take you to a real weird place, the jail. 30, wow, two, four, six, 36 years ago, about that when I started with the sheriff's office. I worked in the jail. Oh, what a wonderful place. Back at 36 years ago, the beautiful Milwaukee County Jail was not the beautiful Milwaukee County Jail that it is today. It was a jungle. It was bars. It was stinky. No air conditioning. When you sat in the, what's called the tiers where all the inmates were, and uh, I, you watched the mice run back and forth, you turned the light on in the morning, and literally a wall like that that's white was black. You turned the light on, and all of a sudden the black disappeared, filled with roaches. Horrible. Horrible. The Bureau of Prisons, the jailers and all that finally got it through their head. We had fights and fights and people stabbed, people murdered. Horrible things were taking place in the jails across the country. Somebody got it in their mind, some bright idea to change the environment of the jails. And instead of having bars, they put up wooden doors. Like little, and you've probably seen them on TV if you've watched, uh, there's wooden doors, and you have one to two persons per cell. In the morning, the doors pop open. If they're not violent or on drugs and or out of, you know, just a real problem, they all come out, and they eat together in a day room, 65 guys. And they come out, they grab their trays, they sit down, and 99% of the time, it's all good. No fights, no stabbings. They act like human beings because they're not being treated like an animal. And you're like, we're paying for that? Listen, you know how much it costs every time somebody commits suicide or every time somebody stabs another person? You could buy a lot of jails for what those lawsuits cost. But you see these people, they've lived in it like animals, many of them. And all of a sudden, people start to treat them. You walk in, sir. You say, are you, me? you call an inmate, sir? Well, many of the deputies put another, when they're saying sir, had other words in mind when they're saying it, but sir, would you come up here? Everything was sir, ma'am, treat them with respect. And guess what? All of a sudden the fight stopped. All of a sudden the stabbing stopped. Why? Because they weren't treated like they were on the streets. How about taking that into the church? <laughs> Where everybody treats everybody with respect. 
and everybody gets along. And, and even if you don't, and you should mean it because that's love without hypocrisy, but these guys would, they'd call us, the, the, the jailer, sir, ma'am. And there was a, 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 a and, and is, was it a forced respect? Yes, it was a forced respect. But in the church, God says, how about a respect for others that you really mean? How about loving people like you really mean it? How about saying uh, 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 good things to people because it's like, yeah, I really mean it. I really do care about you. I really love you. That will transform any group. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. All right, let's go to that next part. What in the world is God talking about here? For in so doing, when you treat your enemies with love and respect, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. You're like, yeah, that sounds like vengeance is mine, doesn't it? Not necessarily. Let's see three different things. I'm going to give you all three interpretations on this, and I'll let you decide which is the best one with a, maybe a little push in the right direction. All right, so what does he say? On the, let's see, your left, you'll see an altar there. In the Old Testament times before the Holy of Holies, somebody was talking to me about the Holy we were talking about, about the Holy of Holies tonight. So you have the altar of incense in the Old Testament temple and, and before the tabernacle. And the priest would come up to what's known as what you're seeing there, the altar of incense. They would put hot coals on it, if you will. And they would take incense and they would put incense on it. And why did God want incense? Because it was a sweet savor to God. Heaping coals on someone who has done wrong, who has offended you, and all of a sudden you're doing them right. Interpretation one is lining up with Old Testament. And by the way, this is if you look at your Bibles, do you see it, those words in italics? Some of you do, some of you don't. No, anyone not have italics? All right, couple. Uh, most of the Bibles, most versions, uh, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That's actually a quote from the Old Testament, why it's in italics in many of your Bibles. So this is what it's re uh, back in Proverbs, and we'll look at it in just a moment. In fact, Proverbs 25, up on the screen, exact words. For if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. In other words, is it uh, uh, your kindness, your love, your caring? Is it enough to change the person's heart to where that which is evil and wrong all of a sudden turns into a sweet savor to God? That's possibility one. Possibility two is in the middle, where you see a guy literally carrying hot coals on his head. So I'm going to take you to uh, uh, an individual, good commentary, Bible knowledge commentary, a guy named John Whitmer, who says this. Heaping burning coals on his head, along with the first part of Romans 12:20, is a quotation from Proverbs 25, 21 to 22. The coals on the head may refer, and of course when you see may, he's not being dogmatic, may refer to a ritual in Egypt in which a person showed his repentance by carrying a pan of burning charcoal on his head. Helping rather than cursing an enemy may cause him to be ashamed and penitent. Now, and that's why I really love, and it's hard to find, it's really hard to find commentaries that go back to cultural times. This particular guy did that, and I appreciate the, the study and the research. And, and back in those days when this was taking place, when it was written, literally, they would, in a sign of repentance, in a, or in a sign of contrition, hot coals on the head. Now, of course, it wasn't burning through the pan or whatever, but that it was a sign of contrition. Uh, when when uh, uh, people were praying and repented, they prayed in what? Sackcloth and ashes. It was, and of course, the ashes were out at that time, but uh, uh, they, they would put on sackcloth, take off their normal garments and put on this horrible burlapy type uh, uh, clothes and they pour ashes on themselves as a sign of, of repentance. Is this what it means? Well, third, uh, uh, the proverb goes further, encouraging readers to show generosity to their enemies. Generosity shames the enemy and hopefully encourages repentance. In other words, when somebody treats you horribly and evil and disruptive, and all of a sudden God puts love in your heart for them and you treat them with love and kindness, 
what are we hoping to accomplish? Well, it got to touch their heart, of course, that they'd see the love of God coming through you, expressing uh, your love for them, and all of a sudden things change. Paul quotes this Proverbs in Romans when he encourages his readers to overcome evil with good. So contextually, number two, very powerful from a, a, a if you will, from a cultural perspective back in the day, a historical perspective. Number one certainly matches up with Old Testament scripture. How about number three? And I don't think this one, I think this is the most invalid one. But Psalm chapter 140, verses 9 to 11. As for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they rise not up again. Uh, we talked about that this morning. What kind of psalm is that? Imprecatory. Back in Old Testament times. This was, this was common. I mean, there were horrible enemies, and God literally judged the fire out of them. And I mean that literally. And, and, and folks that rebelled against God, men, women, and children were severely disciplined to the point of death. So back in the Old Testament times, this was, this was real, absolutely real. And, and what does he say, verse 11? Let not a slander be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. All right, that's what took place. In times of war, uh, the, the soldiers would stand on the high ground, which that's why you always want high ground. You don't want to be coming up. You always want to be on the top. And, and they'd get the, uh, the arrows and the, the rocks and the coals, and they'd throw them down in the hot tar and whatever else they could get. Why? Because it took their enemies out. I don't think that's what God's talking about in this particular passage. I think what God is saying in the context, talking about good versus evil and looking to help folks come to Christ, what's he saying? Listen, when somebody offends you, feed them. When somebody's thirsty, give them a drink. And then let me work on them because vengeance is mine. If it's necessary, I'll repay. But you know what's so much sweeter is that somebody heart, somebody's heart, somebody's heart melts. And all of a sudden that meanness and that antagonism, and all of a sudden you're treating them like a, like a godly person and you're loving on them and all of a sudden the changes folks you want revival at union grove baptist church you want revival that's exactly what we need oh i'm gonna skip this because we're out of time let me just go to the last piece verse 21 change your actions christian stand firm in your present walk with the lord do not be overcome with evil don't allow it to happen when, when evil comes your way, when wickedness comes your way, when temptation comes your way, this is a command of God. Don't allow it to take you out. Put on that whole armor of God, Galatians 6. Put it all on. Stand firm. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, we're not fighting people here. This is a spiritual battle. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, angelic beings, demonic beings, against powers, demonic beings, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. That's who we're fighting, folks. It's not a fair fight. We don't have fair tools to fight the satanic, demonic onslaughts. The only thing we can do is take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, I'm not going to go through all this, but Galatians 6 goes through the, the armor that you need to put on every single day. Salvation, righteousness, truth, the Holy Spirit's power, faith, the gospel, the gospel of grace. Folks, you want revival? You want revival? Love without hypocrisy. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but how do you overcome evil? You do good. You love the unlovely. Ah, that's so, yeah, okay, I agree. It's hard. It's a spiritual discipline. But you fall on your face. Say, oh, God, would you revive me? Would you help me to love the unlovely? Would you help me to be kind to the, those that are unkind to me? Would you change my heart? Love without hypocrisy. Father, 
every single one of us starting right here in this pulpit. It's so hard sometimes. It's so easy to get mad at someone. It's so easy to cast dispersion. It's so easy to fight those who don't agree with us. It's so easy to criticize. It's so easy to hurt someone else's feelings while we're exalting our own. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be like Jesus. Would you please help us, Lord? Would you please help us to love those who are unlovely? Would you help us to love those who persecute us? Would you help us to love those whose wrath is focused on our being? Lord, I've seen it so many times where folks that have been hurt horribly, I've seen so many times where folks that have had loved ones killed, burglarized, robbery, raped, severe damage, and their bitterness against those criminals was so severe that they couldn't sleep at night. They were sick at night just wanting to get revenge. And I've seen those whose hearts have been melted and they realize, yes, it was a horrible, 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 dastardly thing that was done. Oh, God, would you help me to forgive them? And you have. And you changed their hearts, and they were able to forgive and allowed you to take the vengeance that you indeed will cast upon those without you. Father, help us to love as you've asked us to without hypocrisy. If it's you tonight, we're ending the day on this. Where do you stand with others? Has God broken your heart for others? Do you see people as a soul for whom Christ died? Do you see those who are antagonistic and unloving as an obstacle to being happy? And God says, would you let me worry about the vengeance part? Why don't you just ask me to help put some love in your heart for those people, and you'll have revival in your soul, and you'll love on those people, and you'll be a much happier person in Christ. Finally, if you're here tonight or watching on the internet, if you were to die right now, where would you go? If you died right now, would you go to heaven? You know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt if you died, you go to heaven. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. If we got what we deserved, every single one of us would go to an awful place called the Lake of Fire, Revelation 21.8. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, said, I love you. Despite you're a sinner, despite you've done wrong, despite you've been against me, I love you. And he means it. And he really means it because God's love is without hypocrisy. God says, I went to the cross to die on the cross for your sins. I paid the penalty so you could go to heaven. But you got to do one thing. I hope you're asking, what's that one thing right now? Well, here it is. God said, if you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you, that you can go to heaven when you die. Because it's not by what you do, it's about what he did. Here's the verses, and we'll stop. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, listen please, for by grace, God's free unmerited gift are you saved, saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin. For by grace, God's free unmerited gift are you saved. It's through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of your works, lest any person should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, listen, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, right there we are. Stop your car. Stop doing what you're doing. If you're in this room right now, just stop, think. Have I ever placed my faith in Jesus? Have I ever accepted that free gift of eternal life? Just stop what you're doing. Stop what you're thinking right now. And why don't you accept that free gift of eternal life by placing your faith and trust in what he did for you and you alone? Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to accept that free gift? Well, I sure hope you are if you've never done it before. You only need to do it once, by the way. If you've done it, God seals you. But if you've never received that free gift, how about doing it right now by faith? Did you do it? Did you receive it by faith? You say, Brother Rich, I think I have. I think I finally got it tonight. I want to rejoice with you. How about let's pray a prayer of thanksgiving for the faith you just placed in Jesus tonight. Let's thank him for what he's doing. And maybe you want to pray silently something like this. Dear God, I, I knew. I knew I was a sinner. And I am a sinner. And I, and I knew when I, when I walked in or turned on the internet tonight, I knew that if I got what I deserved, that I probably deserved to be punished in an awful place called hell, and I don't want to go there. But I finally realized that Jesus paid the entire price. I've been told all my life that 
I need to do something. I need to work my way to heaven, but I finally realize it's by faith and faith alone that there's nothing I can do to get me to heaven except follow my face and receive the free gift of eternal life by placing my faith and trust in what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection. Oh, God, thank you for saving me and promising to take me to heaven when I die. Christian, if you got something to do with God tonight, how about doing it? Right there we are. Make that little bench an old-fashioned altar. And give your heart back to God. Ask him to help you with those things you're struggling with right now. And let's go out there into the battlefield tonight, fully dressed in the full armor of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.